The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid is about performance. Not just on the road, but in life. With not only trunk space, but room to make memories. It's electric with a backup plan where the only speed that matters is how fast you can slow down. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid. Performance where it matters the most. Visit volvocars.com slash US to learn more. Welcome to Rossin to the Rescue, my new podcast about the secrets to avoiding everyday dangers and worst-case catastrophes. I'm Jeff Rossin. You may know me from NBC's Today Show. I have an investigative segment called Rossin Reports. My new book, Rossin to the Rescue, comes out on October 10th. Very excited about it. Throughout this series, we're going to tackle some of the really scary scenarios of our modern world, from surviving a train crash to avoiding identity theft and everything in between. We're also going to take you on the road as we investigate these topics to find the truth. Here to help me, because God knows I need help, is my co-host, Kara Rota. How are you? Hi, Jeff. I'm so excited to be here and so excited to start talking about some of these things. Nice to have you here. So this week, we're going to talk about floods and fires, natural, sometimes not so natural, disasters that can impact all of us, no matter what coast you live on, no matter where you live. Overnight, Hurricane Irma unleashed its wrath on Florida. We're tracking Hurricane Harvey right now. That storm is pummeling the Texas Gulf Coast. All signs indicate to utter devastation. Jeff, a few weeks ago, you spent some time in Texas and Florida reporting on the two hurricanes, Harvey and Irma, that have affected those areas. Can you tell us a bit about what you saw? Hurricanes are just so devastating. You know, we talk, we talk in the book a little bit about how fire gets all the attention for its, for its dangerous flames, but water is so scary. Sending water rushing into the street. We have seen lots of downed power lines that we've had to avoid, lots of these trees. Homes have been destroyed here. In Miami, parts of downtown are completely submerged. It, it, because it gets into everything, right? I mean, there's really nothing you can do. You're powerless when water gets there, and it's always looking for the easiest place to go, and that's your house, that's your lungs. I mean, it's anywhere you don't want it is where it goes. So when we were down there, and the, th- and the thing about a house is as soon as water touches it, you get mold. All those big problems happen. So what we saw down there was, uh, you know, a lot of people who uh, had to leave their homes and then came back and had nothing. Um, in some cases, some people were spared by Irma, which, which you know, it's always nice when that happens. But it's, it's a terrible thing to see, and it reminds you of the awesome power of, of water. What should people do if they're caught in a flash flood? What's the best way to protect yourself? Yeah, we talk about this in the book, and it's so important because what people so often do is, especially people who have SUVs and 4x4s, four they're like, oh, uh, there's just a, you know, a foot of water. What big deal? It's barely covering anything. I'm going to drive right through it. But you don't know what it's like in the middle of that puddle, and that's when people get washed away. I know it sounds ridiculous. You're like, big deal. But what you need to do in a flash flood, and there's some very simple tips here that, are, that will actually save your life. They can save your life. Um, every flash flood is different, of course. If you, first of all, never, ever drive through standing water. Don't do it. But let's say you do, let's say a river crests and all of a sudden you're washed away. The first thing you want to do, big tip here, roll down your windows. It seems counterintuitive. You want to keep the water out. But the water's coming in. There's now nothing else you can do about that. That's happening. So you need to roll down the windows. Basically, the window is actually going to be your only way out. Uh, I tried this in an experiment. We set up a big experiment. 
Uh, we, f- we flooded a car that I was in. You can't hurt uh, the Hulk. Hercules could not open a car door when water is rising against the, the pressure is too much. If your window's closed too, you're trapped inside that car. And then the window's going to break from the pressure when, it, when your car gets submerged. And then you're really in trouble. So roll down the windows. And a lot of people are going to say, well, I have electric windows. Well, that's why you need to, the second you realize you're in trouble, okay, the waters, I think in about two minutes, I'm going to have an issue here. Get those, get those electric windows down too. You need your windows open because that's how you're going to get out. You get out of the car, you bring the kids up front, get out of the car through, you know, the, the front windows and climb on top of the car. You want to try to grab a tree, grab a branch, anything you can of your car, if, if it's within reach, if not, you need to stay low on top of that car, just kind of spread out, spreading your weight out on top of the car, and ride it until you pass something that you can grab a hold of. It's a very, very dangerous situation. So the first thing to do is to roll down the windows and use them to get out of the car. You never want to stay in your car in case of a flash flood. Yeah, your car will become a coffin. And you mentioned that people with SUVs sometimes think that they can drive through water that turns out to be yeah. much deeper. Are you safer in a sedan or an SUV in terms of a flash flood? Yeah, it's a tough question to answer. I don't think you're, you're, you're not safer in an SUV. Let me, let me just put it that way, because I think everyone assumes that you are. In fact, well, we interviewed an expert who said you actually could be in a little more danger in that because those big tires on an SUV act as buoys. And they end up like float, the, the car can float actually a little faster. So I don't want to say you're safer in a sedan or you're, but you're certainly not as safe as you think you are. You are not impervious to this uh, because you're in a four by four in an SUV. And obviously, when we're talking about natural disasters or any kind of tragedy, the top consideration is loss of life. But mm-hmm. people are also so concerned about their homes and mm-hmm. the water damage that can happen. What are some tips for prepping your home against flooding and making sure that if you are in a place where you can experience flooding, the damage is minimal? Well, you know, being down in Florida uh, for Hurricane Irma, um, it was really interesting. Uh, Hurricane Andrew changed so much down there, and people really do build homes differently now. But you want those hurricane impact windows. Very important. If you live in any sort of hurricane zone, you should have hurricane impact windows. Those people down in Florida, you know, we always see people boarding up before a hurricane. They didn't have to board up. If you have hurricane impact windows, uh, you know, these people were not boarding up and their windows were just fine. Um, that, that's one thing. You also want to have a go bag. Before we even get there, the one thing I always notice is people don't evacuate even when officials say evacuate. I can't stress enough that you need to get the hell out of your house and evacuate when they tell you to evacuate. And people who don't are putting their own lives in danger and the rescuers' lives in danger because now they have to come fish you out and get you uh, to save your life, and they're putting themselves in danger. So you need to you need to evacuate. You need to have a go bag. A go bag is all the stuff you would expect, you know, granola bars, bottled water. Uh, but you also want to bring your medication. People don't think about that. Uh, documents like your will, your you know, social security cards, your birth certificates, put them in a waterproof bag and, and bring that with you. And the third thing that no one thinks about is go get cash before the, the storm strikes, because so often people forget to get cash. If, it, if the hurricane's bad enough, power's wiped out, you can't go to the ATM, you can't, and then credit card machines are down in stores and you have nothing to buy the essentials with for your family. So get cash too. Here's a little section from the audiobook.
My phone vibrates. It's a text from my wife, Danielle. You're crazy, she writes. And she's not wrong. The night before, I told her I was going to simulate getting stuck inside of a car that's being flooded with freezing water. Sort of like Harry Houdini, but without a lockpick. The reason for this experiment is simple. Flash floods are everywhere. They are sudden, they are scary, and they are deadly. Because my wife is right and I do crazy things, I travel to a flood training course in Whistler, Canada, where they use their outdoor laboratory, yeah, there's a laboratory for everything, to create a raging flood. Okay, go time. I'm sitting in a pickup truck, which, thankfully, has been chained to the ground so it doesn't really float away. I don't have a death wish. The water comes straight at me. Now there's no turning back. Up until then, it had all been abstract. Now it's real. The water seeps in through the bottom of the car like a boat that's getting flooded. And soon the water touches a piece of my skin that's between my jeans and my moccasins. It's cold and icy, a lick of the frozen tundra. They had warned me that the water was going to be cold, but nothing prepared me for the subarctic freeze. The cold makes a difference because your body is physically in pain. You're now not only dealing with the mental stress of how you're going to escape from the situation, you're also dealing with a shutdown of your body. The genes stick to me, and it's terrifying and disgusting feeling. To give you some perspective, jump into your pool in the dead of winter, and you'll get maybe one-fiftieth of the sensation. Not to mention you're freaking out because your car is floating away. By the way, you know I have to say it. Don't really jump into your pool in the winter. Okay, back to this. I roll down the window and climb out. By the way, climbing out of a window is awkward, but doable. The water keeps pouring in as I struggle to escape. Did I mention it's cold? And I try to slither out of the window. Trust me, this is not as easy as they make it look on the Dukes of Hazard. I get out just in the nick of time. In just seconds, the water has risen all the way past the gas pedal, past the seat, past the top of the steering wheel, and approaches the roof of the car. If I had been just a little bit slower climbing out of that window, I would have been a goner, and my wife would have had the last laugh. You know, I hate that. Now I'm on the roof, but I have a new set of problems. Oh, God, if this were a real flood without the safety chain, I'd now be surfing on the roof of a truck that is literally sailing out of control. Even with the chain, it's scary as hell, and it's difficult to keep your balance. The water sprays at my face and makes it difficult to see or to think. The advice from the experts, stay as low as you can and hang on for dear life. But the real advice here, don't go anywhere near these floods. Seriously. If you see the shallowest of floods on the street, turn around and find another route, even if you're late for your job or your dinner or your doctor's appointment. I learned that a car can float or even flip in very shallow water. It can float in six feet of water. It can float anywhere in between. If you're trapped inside, you can easily get killed. If you make it to the roof, you have a better chance but it's still dangerous. Just avoid the situation. In fact, in Arizona, this is such a problem, that state has had to create something called the stupid motorist law. I'm not making it up. Too many Arizona drivers, either macho or oblivious, had decided to plow their SUVs through the water and forge ahead. Some died, some lived, and most of them risked the lives of rescuers, too. 
Thanks to the stupid motorist law in Arizona, if you've been rescued after driving in the floodwaters, you may have to pay for the entire rescue operation yourself. So maybe my wife is right. Maybe I'm crazy. But thanks to this lesson, hopefully a few more people at least will be a little less stupid. We'll be right back after this. We wanted to talk a little bit about fires this week. Obviously, fires have a huge impact, not just on families, but on their houses. Um, And I'd love to ask you to talk a little bit about some things that people should keep in mind when they're thinking about fire preparedness. Well, you, you can't have fire preparedness without a fire escape plan. And the numbers show how few Americans, and I'm gonna raise my hand and say myself included, up until I wrote this book and did all this research, We don't talk to our kids about a fire escape plan. We don't talk to ourselves about a fire escape plan. Why? Because let let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night? Of course you have. Sure. The answer is yes. So you get up in the middle of the night and you're like, I have to go to the bathroom or I want to go get a glass of water. What do you do? You you don't turn lights on because you don't feel like adjusting your eyes. So you walk through your house in the pitch black because you've memorized your house. So that's what people think, right? Okay, I know my house. I can do it with the back of my hand. I wake up all the time in the pitch black and feel my way around. So when a fire strikes, I'll know how to get out. I I know where my doors are. I know this house like the back of my hand. It's just not true. When a fire happens, and this is also in the book we talk about how um, I hate the advice, don't panic. You'll never hear that come out of my mouth. I think it's stupid. I think it's a waste of time. You are going to panic. In these experiments that I do that are controlled, I panic. So God knows in a real situation, you're going to panic. The key is... What can we do to train your brain so you can, once you do get past that panic, even even during the panic, you automatically and instinctively know what to do, right? That's a fire escape plan. Think about, this is an analogy I use. Athletes, professional football players, baseball players, whatever, Michael Phelps, he goes into the pool. He's an amazing swimmer. He knows what what he's doing. He's the best at it. But he goes in that pool every day when he's training for the Olympics, and he swims and swims and swims and swims. So athletes do the same thing. Why don't we do that for something as important as saving our life? Train it, train it, train it, train it, train it. And believe it or not, you know, kids don't realize. When I first went to my kids and I said, uh, we need to practice a fire escape plan, they thought the only way to get out was through the front door. Because think about it, as kids, they're like, well, that's the way I come in. That's the way I go in and out normally. So I, it took me saying, no, there may be fire there. You need to, if that happens, we're all going to try to stay together. But if we're not, you, need, you can go this way or this way. So little things like that that you may think are obvious are not and you need to practice because we actually did a big experiment with a family in Connecticut who promised us they'd never done a fire escape plan. They were like, ah, no problem, big deal. Failed it miserably. They were like six things they did that would have killed them. Which can be such a huge wake-up call, obviously, for parents. What are some of the things that you ask parents to talk about with their kids? Or what are the parts of that escape plan that are really key to make sure kids understand and that are totally nailed down? Number one is don't leave your room without feeling the back of the doorknob first. Because if there's a big flashover fire beyond the door, you open it up, and now there's fire inside the bedroom. So the first thing you want to teach kids is use the back of your hand and feel the doorknob. Because if it's hot to the touch, they shouldn't open it. Um, number two is a meeting place, even within the house, right? Like, okay, there's a fire. What's the number one thing we're doing? Where are we meeting? You know, is my job to wake up my daughter Sloan or my wife's job to wake up Blake? What if we're both running to Sloan's room and no one's waking up Blake? You know, have assignments of the parents of who's waking up who, who's going where. 
Uh, you know, no fire is the same. You don't know where it's going to start, but there are basic things to start with. The American Red Cross on its website has a great quick safety checklist that you should go to right now and just tick it right off. They'll tell you how to make one in your house. Something in the book that really shocked me, and I'm sure shocks a lot of people, is also about the sort of flammability of your house and everything in it. Um, Can you talk a little bit about modern furniture versus furniture from the 70s and 80s and kind of how long it takes for a room to catch fire in your house? I do love my 80s music, and it turns out houses were better in the 80s, too. Everything was better in the 80s. Simpler times. Um, yeah, for real, uh, modern furniture is made with much more synthetics. We, have, as a people, have wanted our furniture prices to go down. The manufacturers have listened. And now, in, you know, we're sitting at this desk right now in the studio, and I, I'm looking at this, and I'm guessing that this is made of a lot of synthetic fibers. Your bedding is, your curtains probably are, your couch probably is, coffee table. That stuff just lights faster. It just burns faster than real, actual, natural wood. And back in the 80s, it was like, you know, your grandma's uh, bookshelf, right? Really sturdy. Solid pine takes a long time to burn. Yeah. But now it's like, you know. So, yeah, you actually have less time to get out now in pushing the fact that we all need a fire escape plan even faster. So we actually did that experiment, too. And, I mean, we put this 80s room next to a modern room at the uh, at this laboratory, lit them on fire, and it took almost like a half hour or something or more for the the modern uh, for the uh, 80s room to burn, but the modern one went up within a minute or two. Scary. So really good to keep in mind. You probably have less time than you think you do, which is why it's even more important to have a plan and be prepared. Yeah, it's, it, fire is a lot like water. It will go find the quickest route, and it'll keep light. It'll keep spreading very fast. As people put together their fire escape plan, what are the top five tips for escaping a house on fire that are just great to keep in mind? You love lists. Right? We, we do love, love we lists. We love lists. Okay, here, here, here are the five. You ready? Don't stand up because it's black smoke up there. Stay to the ground. Feel the door. Feel the doorknob with the back of your hand. Don't go back into the fire to get the dog. Even if you pass it, you never pass an exit to go get the dog. I know that sounds cold. But don't do it because you're going to lose your life and the dog's life as well in the process. Never pass an exit. If you, if you see an exit, get out. Have a plan, which is what we, it all comes back to, so you can go on autopilot when you panic. Train your brain. Jeff, thank you so much. These are such important things to keep in mind in all kinds of fires and floods and other natural disasters. So thank you so much for sharing some of the tips from the book with us. I appreciate your listening. And this has been the first episode of Ross and to the Rescue. Very exciting. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app if you're enjoying the show. And even if you're not enjoying the show, do it anyway. Uh, and don't forget my new book, Ross and to the Rescue, comes out on October 10th. See you next week. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid is about performance. Not just on the road, but in life. With not only trunk space, but room to make memories. It's electric with a backup plan where the only speed that matters 
is how fast you can slow down. The Volvo XC60 Recharge Plug-In Hybrid. Performance where it matters the most. Visit volvocars.com slash US to learn more.